Hello and welcome back to the Broadcast News Wrap, your shorthand guide to the top TV news stories brought to you by the Broadcast Editorial Team. I'm International Editor John Elms and today I'm joined by a crack squad of senior reporter Max Goldbart, reporter Hannah Bowler and inside editor Jesse Whittock. We've returned from our summer holidays with a bumper edition to discuss this year's Digital Edinburgh TV Festival, a novel experience for us all. But of course, you can catch up with the back catalogue of the News Wrap on Spotify and Apple. On today's episode, we kick off with Max's exclusive interview with this year's Edinburgh Advisory Chair and BBC Two controller, Patrick Holland, who spoke about David Olashova's powerful McTaggart lecture, the ever-present topic of diversity in the industry, public service broadcasting, and Channel 5 Director of Programming, Ben Frow's declaration that I'm not part of the club. All that, plus the ever-popular What We've Been Watching, on today's broadcast news wrap. And before I say hi to everyone, I'm just going to introduce Max's conversation with Patrick Holland. So, Patrick Holland, Edinburgh Advisory Chair 2020. It's, uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, what have been some of your standout moments so far? We're, we're recording right towards the end of, of this year's festival. Well, thanks for um, for inviting me, Max. So, what have been the standout moments this so far? I mean, obviously, the moment that everyone is talking about is David's McTaggart, and mm-hmm. we know when we approached David about being the McTaggart lecturer, it felt like this was his year, and it was a moment when we needed his level of um, intellect, his level of storytelling his level of analysis his level of sort of being able to understand the structures uh, that are at play and to turn his historian's eye um, to our industry his industry but also to that he's someone who as he said in his his lecture has seen television from many different perspectives you know as a presenter um, as a producer as a researcher and so I had very, very high hopes for the McTaggart in terms of, you know, the impact of it being something that could galvanise the industry. But I've been blown away by the response to that speech and the um, the particular combination of uh, personal testimony plus that um, analytical um, uh, focus that he's been able to bring, mm. I think has to serve as that as a lightning rod for change so mm. <clears throat> excuse me so i um i i think that that was the you know the standout moment so mm. far mm. Were, were you um it it certainly does feel like this this was a really important year to have someone like david doing the mctaggart were you surprised by any of what he said or was it very much a speech that that you were expecting i think that the i obviously knew we knew when we approached David that his you know his his as I said in the introduction to to the to the lecture that his whole um career on television his whole sort of focus on tele in in, in television has been on telling untold stories so I think that we were always expecting David to be able to tell that untold um, to, to tell untold stories and then drive to a different to a different conclusion, which mm. which makes us see things afresh. Um, obviously, I didn't know lots and lots of the personal stories of that David um, was was able to 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 mine and and to take us into both his own stories and the stories of of, of other people who um, you know from his generation, the lost generation, as he described it. Um, so I was expecting a speech of power and analysis. One thing that I think has is, is the game changer is that if it can enable us all to understand the structures that are stopping change, that for all of the, I mean, I've been in television for you know 20, over 20, 20 years. I used to run Channel 4's new talent scheme. When I ran an indie, I set up a whole, um, you know, within Fremantle, we set up a, an access scheme for researchers to becoming a trainee researcher scheme for people from diverse backgrounds to get into television. So it's something that, you know, and at the BBC, I'm the, I'm the point person for the assistant commissioner scheme. I'm really passionate about diversity. It's been something that is absolutely, you know, central to lots and lots of the 
work that I've done in television for 20 years, and yet we haven't seen change. So I feel sort of personally quite ashamed that that there has not been more change. David's speech, I think, shone a light on some of the structures that stop change. And so much of it is, and I said it in my controller session yesterday, so much of it is ostensibly quite benign. We hire people who were doing the last job. You know, when a new series comes along, you think, well, who are we going to get to make this show? And someone says, so-and-so's just won a BAFTA. So-and-so is in real demand from Channel 4. And so what happens is that person then gets the gig. And of course, if we always keep hiring the same people, things never change. And, you know, people talk, you know, Ben Frau spoke the other day about mm. if there's not an AP on a particular um, a series that he's commissioning, then, um, you know, then there's no, no commission. I think it's got to be more than that. I'm not, we're not talking about APs. We're talking about series producers, we're talking about exec producers. We're talking about people who have got mass, you know, senior editorial roles on productions. Because otherwise what's happening is that, if you have minor roles that are filling that sort of diversity tick, and it's a, you know, that is, that, that is not the way we should be thinking about things. Mm. We are thinking, we're talking about changing the way in which the, we, we hire, promote, um, champion, mentor people, so that there are people who are in senior editorial positions as writers, directors, camera operators, um, editors, who, are from diverse backgrounds so that we're bringing fresh perspectives to our storytelling as well. This is mm. not about, you know, just filling quotas. As I said yesterday in my controller session, it's about opening, it's like opening the window. You suddenly mm. think, ah, oh, it's a different light that comes shining in. And that's mm. what we need to, you know, embrace. Mm. And, and in that way, sort of looking, you know, across the broadcasters and across the production sector, does it, does it genuinely feel different this time? Because there's a lot of, I think that there is a lot of uh, proclamations at the moment that it, that it is different than it has been in past years, 10 years ago, whenever it might have been. There's also probably understandably quite a lot of cynicism from, from people who maybe have been in the industry for a while and feel like they've heard people talk about these things on, on panels quite often. And then it, each year goes by and the conversation sort of repeats itself. Are, are there elements of this that you do feel is, is a real call for change and, and, and elements of this that you feel are different to, to past attempts to uproot this stuff? I do and I think that the, one of the, um, the reasons why I feel so I feel more confident than ever within the BBC is that the 20% um, a quota that has been put in place that is something that you know, the reason why that's coming in next year is we're going to be working with the sector in order to describe what that means and to work out what the 20% means. So it's a very, very real um, part of the mm. way that we are commissioning spec with producers. I was, I was interested, Ben, ben Frau uh, talked about not being part of the club in reference to other channel controllers and, and senior commissioners, uh, partly because he uh, didn't go to university. Um, what, what, what did you think about that? Um, I mean, I think Ben loves being outside of the club. I'm not aware that there is a club either. I certainly don't go, go to a club and hang out with other channel controllers. No. I mean, I see that Ben's, it's terrific that Ben, you know, comes from a background where he didn't go to university. But there are people who are, you know, only was the first person in my family to go to university. My mum and dad left school before they were 16. And... There was no expectation on me whatsoever to go to uni. I'm very lucky that I'm doing the job that I'm doing, but I'm certainly not part of some sort of metropolitan elite club where we all sort of hang out together. I come from my background. I you know, fervently believe in my values that come from you know, my um, background, which is state school, um, you know, non-selective state school. And as I say, I was very, very lucky to you know, to, to get the breaks that I got. Mm. But I think that we need to, you know, we need to, we, we need to understand that different people come from different backgrounds. There is a sort of a sense in television that there are too many people of a type, say, and that's where we need to understand that 
bringing in different voices, bringing in people from different backgrounds is something which makes the conversation more interesting because mm. um, otherwise we're just reflecting each other all the time. Mm. Mm. Well, I think he said he'd spoken to you a couple of times. So you're, you're as, as out the club as, uh, as the next person. So he said he had a chat with Ian Katz on the phone once and, and he's spoken to you a couple of times. I went and had a very nice chat with Ben in his very fragrant office at Channel 5 <laughs> when I took over as the advisory chair oh. to ask him what he wanted from um, Edinburgh for this year. He yeah. did tell me that he wanted to have the best um, studio set up in a, in a, in a <laughs> lockdown Edinburgh that he wanted to have a multi-camera shoot for his... Um, controller session but it no it's great it's, isn't it it's a very good session mm. and, and what else i think i think clearly this you know the the the, the theme of of this edinburgh is is diversity have, have there been other key themes that you might have noticed come up in in across various of the sessions well definitely from when when i took over advisory chair the we said you know we were talking about the the advisory committee that that we were able to to gather which was a real committee of talents um was i think the most diverse committee ever we were always talking about diversity and inclusion as being at the heart of the festival but the other element that i passionately you know believe in and wanted the, fo the, indus the industry to focus on for this festival is the future of public service broadcasting because it feels like we're at a critical moment when whichever side of the debate you're on that we need to be talking about the public service ecology in the uk mm. so i think tony hall's um his address to the festival at the beginning i think really helped set that up the, there were some good questions yesterday um in question time uh, where we were talking about the future of public service broadcasting <clears throat> not just the bbc but also looking at you know what does our relationship with the viewer look like and it's all of this in in a, in, a, in the modern world in the 21st century but all of also this has been exacerbated by the debate about public service broadcasting has been really been brought into a sharper focus given covid and given the the black lives matter um, movement because who we trust who we believe in who represents our lives who tells our stories where we go to when we need information that has never been more contested and questioned and i think that that's a debate that we really i think we've we've, we've embraced and engaged with this week in edinburgh mm. we've got to take that argument i think to um to the audience even more in terms of understanding that uh, the, 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 what public service broadcasting can bring to, <clears throat> in terms of telling British stories by British creatives, um, is is an extraordinary part of our ecology. Mm. And you can look at SVOD commissions, and you can look at the money that is available, and think, oh, we don't need public service broadcasting anymore. But just compare the numbers between the hundreds of hours that SVOD's commissioned from British Indies, and the hundreds of thousands of hours that, or the tens of thousands of hours, sorry, that public service broadcasters commissioned from British Indies, and and also look at the content that's on SVODs that actually was public service in its, you know, when it was commissioned. Finally, I suppose, what, what's, what's it been like being, obviously, when you became advisory chair, you never imagined that you would not be <laughs> advisory chair in Edinburgh geographically. Um, what's it been like trying to, trying to conduct all of this from, from home? I think there's, I'd say, three things. First of all, that the, you can get a hell of a lot done on Zoom and you get a hell of a lot done on email. And so actually making time for it and making it work has been onerous, but has been, um, you know, I've been able to fit it in with the day job, which I was a bit scared about, um, you know, when I took it on. The, um, the second thing is that I felt that it was, um, I've, I thought it was, it's been amazing suddenly seeing this whole show unfold and this huge sort of <laughs> variety of different debates and stimulations and um, engagements it's all been it's been really exciting and to see it sort of play out you know from my spare bedroom has been um, surreal but the third and I know that there have been ways of us being able to talk about it I've been texting people furiously all week people have sort of been ringing me up and saying I love that hated that blah 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 but I just really miss the interaction mm -hmm. and I'm not a big you know as I said earlier I'm not a big clubby telly person who sort of hangs out with telly folk all the time but I really 
did you know and sometimes you I mean, I've missed Edinburgh sometimes you sort of as a someone in a sort of broadcaster you look towards an event like Edinburgh slightly with a bit of um not dread but with a mm. bit of apprehension because you know that you're going to be put on the spot you're going to be sort of inundated with people coming and talking to you and saying why aren't you pitching why aren't you commissioning my shows um and uh, and there, so you it's as an event it's something that you uh, you look forward to but at the same time there's apprehension this year i just massively missed the physical event mm. because that ability for everyone to get together as <coughs> david described at the tribes of television getting together um is an amazing moment and it's in a moment when you realize just how many brilliant people there are in the industry just how many terrific things are happening i think we've seen that this week with the digital festival but i think we're all really craving the time when we can get together and debate this you know in the, in the flesh i don't mean <laughs> i mean debate it you know in, in yeah, person in person good stuff well patrick has been great chatting uh, and it's been a really interesting week so far so so good to hear from you personally thank you max so that was a great insight from Patrick there, um, touching on the, the kind of novel experience of having a digital, uh, digital Edinburgh. Let, let me say hi to everyone. How are we all doing? How are we doing, Max? Very good. Good to be back. And, yeah, and Hannah, how's it going? Yeah, good. Just winding down, trying to get some sleep after the week we've just had. But less hangovers than normal, so we're not too good. We're not good. <laughs> and Jesse, better, Jesse. Than, better than most years. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Sec- seconded on the uh, uh, less hangovers or fewer hangovers um, point. Uh, it's been quite nice to be sober for most of the week. Um, although, um, as, as Patrick was alluding to, you do miss the sort of, uh, you know, the late night chats and the gossip and, uh, and then just sort of taking the temperature of the industry. So, um, yeah, you know, an interesting week but definitely a different one yeah so with just quickly with those your those your takeaways what was it like being at digital edinburgh as a as a grizzled veteran of the the normal event um well i suppose like i first went to edinburgh going on 10 years ago um and um you know it, it has a place in my mind where you go and you um you're able to get access to all of the top people in one place for probably the the one time in the year where you can do that with the british tv industry um and then in the evening you go and have a dinner with a broadcaster or with a uh, with, with some some friends or some some sources and you're able to sort of build up a really good picture about how people are feeling about the industry and i do think that's probably the one thing that uh doing things digitally um lacks a little bit is that you don't have that sense uh, and you're having to sort of take everything from those sessions um which were really good across the board i think that was it was a really strong interesting week where lots of points were raised um but it does sort of make you uh you know um ache for the uh, for next year's event when hopefully we'll all be back out there and we'll be able to be pissed at 2am outside the grand uh, you know, talking to a, some random actor or something about their latest show. <laughs> Hannah, were the, those the same experiences that you had? <laughs> yeah, no, I would, I would second what Jesse just said. I did, though, think, though, that um, the sessions were really well produced this year and some, some seamless, seamless ways that it, it all came together, which was quite innovative, I think, for a completely virtual festival to have, to have worked um, in that way. So, I mean, hats off. Yeah, no, I thought I thought that was a that was a, a good point. Obviously, these virtual festivals, we've we've done a few of them recently because that's what everything's been like. Um, so it was well produced. Max, you covered a, a lion's share of the main sessions. Was that your viewpoint as well? Why did you find it? Yeah, a thirded, thirded. But it, it was a it was a bit of a shame, wasn't it? Because you felt like you weren't getting the. I, I, one one of the things I really like about Edinburgh is is even just moving in between the sessions and you like see a bunch of people you know and and sort of stopping and and chatting and really getting a feel for how everyone the the key themes and how everyone feels about what people are saying which was still you you know you could keep your eye on the Twitter feed or or we're we're chatting all the time um, so there was still an element of that. Uh, and I think one real plus point that I found was that I just watched a lot more sessions this year than I normally yeah. would. I would right? totally agree with that because I just, or normally just kept you're it like, on. 
in and out or like you have to like schedule which ones you want to go to and actually I found I, I went to mm. like the majority of sessions which I would have never been able to do before definitely and there, then there was some uh, as we'll touch upon there were some really interesting sessions but I think stuff that I normally wouldn't watch of parts of the tv industry that maybe i don't cover or i'm less interested in was was stuff that i was actually tuning into so that's obviously a plus point but i am sure they will be desperate to get back to normal service mm, absolutely absolutely well i mean there's there's lots of things to discuss um actually patrick holland's that that conversation with patrick holland is quite useful because as the edinburgh advisory chair he's he gives us a kind of oversight of of what's gone on and obviously he spoke he spoke about you know one of the most the biggest talking points which was David Olashoga's uh, McTaggart and we're obviously going to come back to that in, in a moment but I it was interesting that it was bookended that opener was bookended by John Langraf the FX uh, troll as it were uh, head of FX uh, network in the states yesterday evening who also spoke about diversity I mean his whole worldview address was uh, uh, about diversity um max and jesse you you listened into that uh, along with along with me um what what was your take on 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 john langraf's kind of closing session to the to the edinburgh uh, uh, an appropriate and fitting 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 speech what what do you think jesse so john's uh whole speech and and whole whole conversation with june sarpong was sort of built around this idea or, or this, or this, or in fact, the, the reality that 20 years ago, FX, which is one of the kind of more sort of premium basic tier cable channels over in the US, made some shows like uh, The Shield, uh, some really classic stuff from around that time. Um, it was basically a very, very white network. All the writers, all the directors, all the talent pretty much were, were white folk. And John, who, uh, according to his Wikipedia page, is known as the mayor of TV, we were calling him last night the professor of TV, uh, is this very studious guy who um, keeps a track on how many scripted shows are created every year. So about once or twice a year, he'll put out a, a, a statement saying there's around 500 or 600 um, scripted shows every year. So his, his research team are tracking all sorts of um, variables within the within the particularly the scripted world. Um, and what he'd done when he realized uh, that his network was one of the sort of worst performing in terms of diversity, there was a big re report that came out in the US, which ranked FX right near the bottom, uh, if not the bottom. Uh, he decided to take a like, sort of scientific uh, academic approach to changing that and has been sort of mapping the uh, progress that his channel has been making. And it's, and it's now the case that most of the or certainly a, a a majority of the people who work with fx in those kind of director writer actor positions are now it's certainly minority white rather than majority um and the numbers are, are super impressive um he put out a load of charts which i know you were tweeting about john so if anyone follows john you'll be able to uh, see uh, in, in visual form what I'm talking about but clearly he's someone who's actually gone out there and said well this isn't good enough I'm embarrassed by these numbers I want to change this and he's taken this really scientific approach to changing it and has done and uh, it's, it's really impressive um, I thought the session yesterday was 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 great and also kind of I really like June Sarpong's quite like manic energy um, she was interviewing him um, and uh, she's obviously really um, impressed by what he's done and it was uh, a nice way to to wrap up the uh, wrap up the the festival along with being like very insightful and and quite academic I feel like I've, I've read more charts yesterday than I probably have done for about two weeks before yeah I de definitely echo Jesse on on J June Sarpong was clearly prepared for that session but was still so impressed by what he was saying and I, d I didn't really know very much about John Landcraft I've recently got quite into FX because it has a really good output deal with the BBC so I've watched some of these shows and they're they are of such a high quality I think the <laughs> the charts that we all loved so much um that that were so telling you could just never imagine a British channel controller or senior commissioner doing that they would there was there was a hell of and we're going to touch on this more there was a lot of talk at this edinburgh and we're going to see how well the people at the top follow through with it in the uk but there was just something so refreshing about 
somebody heading up a big US network just being able to prove it and and prove that he'd like smashed it out the park basically in terms of he he brought up rep, you know representation across the US and then how that's improved regarding both directors and writers and 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 you know they've they've smashed all of their targets and it just we we talk about this quite a lot but it just proves that thing that so many people say which is in the US they just get the business case for diversity in a way that we are so far behind we still see diversity as something that you have to reach out to do we still take a very scheme forward look at things but some of the things john said i'm just looking back at uh, some of the tweeting we were doing he said we can sit here and talk about things from a moral viewpoint but i'm telling you this is what we do there is a correlation between doing the right thing around gender and racial equity and the quality of programming and clearly we all know that correlation is there because he also the next chart he showed was how many awards fx has won over the past few years and, and how that's continued to rise and it i just thought we are absolutely years away from any of those british channel controller sessions both being able to show this kind of progress and talking in this way because they still don't talk about diversity from a business viewpoint they talk about it from a from the moral viewpoint and from a societal viewpoint. And uh, Max, you wrote a piece based on Jamila, mm. uh, Jamil's um, alternative McTaggart. I almost wish that Jamila Jamil's McTaggart, alternative McTaggart had come after John Landgraf's speech. So it, it's just, it was so evidential of what he was talking about. She spoke a few hours before he did. But yeah, totally. Uh, she just talked about being completely pigeonholed in, in the UK. Uh, she was she was a T4 presenter and couldn't really break out from just being told that she was in that mold. And then she just went to the US and, and was allowed to do what she wanted. She started in The Good Place. She did some writing, various other bits. I think the pigeonholing was quite a common thing throughout the, the sessions. I remember presenter Maureen Begg um, talking about, as a presenter herself, she's constantly just given the stories that reflect like her race and her religion and she was never given the freedom to do like a Stacey Dooley or a Louis Theroux and that that aspect of constantly being asked and pitch projects that reflect like your background but other presenters white presenters aren't asked to do the same thing you know as a white presenter you can go out and report about anything um and so that kind of really reflected how Jamelia Jamil was kind of talking about that and how she then moved over so um, it's definitely something that that was definitely a theme throughout, I think. Yeah, I, th I, th I think so. And, and I, I think wrapping that all together, that one of Langrath's points was that when you, um, when you diversify your network, and in his case, FX, he, and the graphs were very important. I, I love a bit of data to <laughs> uh, like illustrate a point because it's incontrovertible. It's right there. And he, he made a point, he data mapped once he had um, changed the kind of outlook from FX, um, kind of precipitated by a, a, a really scathing variety article, which, which kind of called out FX for being the worst. And he actually said, I was ashamed. I think it was really telling that he went, I was ashamed, you know, as the head. And he, he went defensive, but then he said, no, I can't be defensive. We've got to change this. From that moment, he obviously started to change it. And then he data mapped as he changed the outlook of writers, directors, and mapped it onto how many nominations and awards they got, as you, we've touched upon. I think FX put up 35 shows for the TCA awards and the Emmy nominations from 2015 to 19 post that article and, and got commensurately more success than something like their bigger players like HBO and Netflix who put up hundreds of uh, shows and he said that there is a direct correlation between diverse talent and success, which Max, yeah. you mentioned. And yeah. that's there and that, uh, on page, you know, the, the nominations is clearly shown. He's like, this is, this is great. I've, I've changed the dial on my network and we, we're getting success, which is so obvious. They would never talk about it in that way and they would never show that sort of chart. And what I noticed that the, the British channel controllers just name check the diverse talent they have so with, without picking anyone out particularly a, a british channel controller will just say we've got this person on the channel we have this person on the channel we have this amazing writer um 
but they would never you would never go across the piece and look at every program that you've commissioned in that year and say look how amazingly we've done because i think it yeah, would tell it, quite a different story absolutely and it was noticeable that john langraff didn't actually meant he didn't mention his shows the shows that he has that represent diversity exactly. which people always go to for, for a while for a good while <laughs> in fact i don't think i think it was june sarpong who brought them up you know you've got these shows and he was like yeah you know it's good but he kind of the the point of his speech obviously is that they've started doing it but they're only in the middle of the process and there's so much more to do and i thought it was very telling that his uh, he, he he his tone was quite you know level for for most of for most of the the um the session but i i noted that when you know, when he started, when he got questioned about uh, the UK, or, 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 or no, he, I don't think he got questioned, I think he just brought it up uh, of his own volition. Uh, he went, you know, the same must must be true for writers, producers, directors in the UK. And he went, and he kind of, his voice went up a pitch and went, they're right there. They're just, uh, they just need you to open the door. And it was almost like he was baffled by the fact that it hadn't been done. So is he, uh, is he, uh, you, you guys would know this more than me, but is he streets ahead of other big us network bosses in terms of his attitude um well the, uh, broadly speaking and this isn't true for every single network but broadly speaking the us broadcast system has embraced the concept of diversity much more uh sort of openly and and quickly than they have in the uk there's no, there's multiple reasons for that but what is fair to say is even from like the most broad networks like abc something like an older skewed network like cbs there is a lot of diversity on those channels in terms of the shows that they that they air in terms of the actors in terms of the behind uh screen behind screen talent uh so directors and producers uh so it's just it's much more of a kind of inbuilt thing in the system over there um and it's it's arguably a tougher challenge over here uh to build that into the system but they are definitely light years ahead of where we are. And I think if you look at something like Netflix or if you look at HBO, these are broadcasters and, and streaming services that have had massive success building diversity into their business models. Mm. Um, and that's probably the key difference as to what is happening in the UK at the moment. But we, I mean, we're starting to see it. There's absolutely, you know, this is not a, a bashing session of the British broadcast mm. uh, market because clearly the fact that edinburgh has been dominated by this one topic far more than anything else shows that there is an uh, acknowledgement of the problem and that people are trying to do things we've got channel 5 pairing bme led indies up with um with commissioners to ensure that they win work we've had you know various money uh, committed towards uh, programming from non-white producers and non-white background talent um so things are happening in the right way every broadcaster had some sort of announcement so it is happening but it's mm. just it's whether we can get to the point where it's so inbuilt that it wouldn't be a topic at another edinburgh in the same way that this one was that's the sort of question i think marcus Ryder made a really good point in the very first session where he said 12 years ago he went to edinburgh and sat in a session which was effectively geared around will there be a black commissioner in the channel controller in the uk and he was chairing a panel that was called will there be a black com channel controller in the uk 12 years later and he was he was making that point very clearly that there hasn't been enough progress mm. um, so you know it's it's like moving in the right direction but probably it still feels a bit too slowly Jesse, just quickly on the international front, because that's our, you know, our bread and butter. Um, what were your, you know, key takeouts from the international content perspective? Obviously, they, they, they come, they would usually come in their droves to Edinburgh. I, I, I mean, you wrote a couple of stories, John, which were quite interesting. Um, one from HBO Max, which is one of the new streaming services, um, uh, which is commissioning a lot of shows at the moment, trying to position itself against the likes of Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. Um, and uh, Jennifer Kim, who is the sort of internationals uh, SVP over there, she's she talked quite extensively about how the UK commissioning community can help them do that. 
um, they have commissioned some shows with British producers attached to them already. But from what I could understand, she was talking, you know, there is a real sort of co-production opportunity for British producers uh, at HBO Max. My sense is the tariffs are probably quite good over there. You know, it's that they're looking to position themselves in a sort of that premium space. So to me, that says, you know, dollar signs for, uh, for, for British indies who are looking for new work, if you can find the right ideas and get that access into HBO Max. Uh, I'm sure the uh, commissioner update will be, uh, sorry, commissioner index will be updated, um, sort of reflecting some of that in the next uh, few weeks. So uh, you'll be able to get, log on to the broadcast website and find uh, out that information in more detail. Uh, but obviously your, your story is already online, John. Um, and uh, A&E, which is a, a sort of long time commissioner of UK content, um, we're talking about sort of potentially cycling out some of those formats that have been the bedrock of the channel. I mean, I'm, my sense is they're not going to stop making porn stars anytime soon, but they may well, um, they're, they're looking to sort of add and uh, refresh their um, slate of sort of particularly unscripted entertainment. And very much so it's the case that they feel Brits can help them do that. So those are, I mean, broadly in a, in a week that wasn't heavily dominated by uh, international conversation, I thought those two points were interesting in that there is clearly work out there for British production companies uh, in America and that hasn't changed for due to COVID or anything else. And now let's, um, let's talk about another key talking point that's something that really like did the rounds on Twitter and, and even in other sessions. Uh, ben Frau gave a very colourful and punchy uh, keynote conversation in, in, a, in a Channel 5 studio, which I quite liked because it made him seem like, a, like one of those rogue guests <laughs> on, on, a, on, a, on a morning variety show. Yeah, it's, he, he is he is a bit of a maverick as he as he likes to be called. I'm not I'm not part of the club was an interesting line to take, and we've we've um, sort of heard heard Patrick respond to that earlier. Um, and I think it's something he's said in the in the past. It's it's always notable at, at Edinburgh that he kind of you feel that he has a little bit more free reign maybe than than the other channel controllers to to just just say what he feels. Um, and again, his one of his main focuses was on diversity. And I did, I think a, a wider point to make is that diversity really knocked all of the other topics off their perch. So like the theme of this Edinburgh was actually PSB. I'm not really sure in the end there was too much focus on it. Um, and if I look back to all the stories that we've written, they are they are a lot more diversity focused. And, and what Ben was was talking about, which I really liked, uh, is this idea that he will now be pushing back on on production companies who don't come with enough with enough uh, diverse talent uh, both on and off screen so his thing was that uh, we don't need to throw millions of pounds at the problem we just need to be really strict with our suppliers and not sign off that commission unless there is enough diversity like baked into the show uh, which I thought was really good. And then he showed a picture of himself dressed as Anne Boleyn <laughs> when he was young. And then he <laughs> said, then he said some other things, but, but certainly, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not part of the clubs kind of leads to a, leads to a wider discussion almost. And he talked about, you know, I've, I think I've spoken to Ian Katz once on the phone. And he also talked about an unnamed controller a few years ago who very patronizingly declared to him just as he was about to go on onto a stage uh, it's amazing that you've got here, even though you didn't go to university, uh, and that's all. That's all very telling, isn't it, of of the position that we're currently in. I think the Anne Boleyn moment was voted the uh, moment of of Edinburgh, um, which shows how many people were tuned in and how many people were enjoying uh, Ben's patter. Um, but he was, you know, within all of the kind of sort of theatrical nature of 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 Ben Farrell's performances in, in controller sessions, he, he does sort of pose these questions to the other controllers, doesn't he, about what it means to be someone who runs a channel. Um, you know, as journalists, we find 
Ben's approach frustrating sometimes because he's because we don't get the sort of press releases months in advance often with the shows that Channel 5 commission because Ben's <laughs> whole thing is about being nimble and changing your schedule you know sometimes like I've heard stories whether they're true or not from producers saying I've had a call from Ben an hour before a show goes out saying I want this change now and I want mm. and the show is still going on air in an hour's time or I'm moving your show from two weeks time to tonight you better get it ready you know this is all anecdotal right it might not be true but the point is he treats the schedule as something that is quite reactive and something that you can change and that doesn't that the structure of which doesn't have to be as rigid as many other channel controllers and broadcasters see it as um and you know there's it's it's probably and it's much easier to do that when you're heading channel five than if you're running the bb running bbc one right uh the numbers are different and the expectations are different but equally someone who's posing questions about what it means to be a channel controller particularly when we're having this wider debate around diversity and getting uh, people who are not from those sort of traditional tv backgrounds as as it were into positions of power can only really be a good thing and i think that i, I mean broadly i think that's why his his um controller session resonated sort of more so than it even has done in previous years where he's also you know said some quite provocative stuff also should give a big shout out to uh, itm productions for uh, that session because it it did prove the power of good production and hannah you 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 mentioned that it and a couple of the the sessions that you, you were um focusing on uh, he was brought up as as a kind of everyone was talking about it in session so it, it kind of filtered through to other people's conversations yeah definitely um no clark went in went in for it to be honest um it was pretty impressive i mean the session wasn't geared up to talk about diversity it was it was about the changing times of drama um but again like max was saying earlier every kind of topic did kind of get molded and reshaped and diversity as it should be kind of became the main focal of, of most of these discussions and um noel clark definitely gave gave uh, Channel 4 and um, BBC a bit of run for their money. Um, he said some very interesting things um, and he was kind of talking again, which I think was a big theme throughout and it's been said before um, Edinburgh, I should mention about this kind of um, changing the mid-level and that's kind of where we need to start working on is getting people to progress up the ladder. And there's so many schemes and things that help entry level how are we going to get people in those higher positions? Um, and that was kind of a lot of where Noel came from as well, um, which I think is just, again, offering a more practical um, solution to thing rather than just constantly talking about things. It's a very measurable way of doing and increasing diversity. Thinking across to a few of the other sessions, so um, I remember in the um, Black Controller session. So June Jones talked about maybe if we could kind of have some consultancy roles, which I'd not heard come up before. Um, and he talked about the fact that um, because diverse programming is actually very like keyed on for young people, if broadcasters want to bring young people back into the fold and onto PSB audiences, then you need diverse programming because that's what young people want to watch. Um, so he was talking about, like, let's create some uh, consultancy roles uh, for BAME people and they could come onto a production and say, you know, here's how to make it diverse and you get that into the show and you'll get young audiences and that just makes good business sense. So I thought that was a really um, interesting perspective that I hadn't heard uh, come up before. I just want to throw it open to the floor, um, you guys. We obviously were watching a lot of sessions throughout the week. I just wanted to like give a kind of a free reign as to as the as the things that really struck you from other parts of it. And um, Max, you you've been percolating for a while. What were the, some of the things that you really really took took away from this digital festival? Always always percolating. I think again to say it for the final time, diversity trumped everything. And another thing diversity trumped is that it was today is Tony Hall's last day as as BBC Director General. So. He had he did the opening keynote on on the Monday morning, and it sort of seemed to pass without majorly being majorly being focused upon. It was a it was a classic kind of Tony Hall rallying cry about PSB, 
quoting Silicon Valley tech leaders. The only other thing that I would mention from my end is is the BBC Three session. Um, Fiona Campbell, channel controller, BBC Three, laying down a gauntlet for BBC Three to return as a linear channel. And this is the her first speaking appearance since that proposal has been floated. And it sounded, at, at first, she slightly dodged the question and said, it's under consideration, it's up to Tim Davey, the next DG, and then pressed upon it. She made a bit of a case for the fact that uh, her thing was that the the streamers would die for good linear channels and the more linear channels we can have and the, the more linear and I player talking to each other uh, is the better. So it seemed to me that once prompted, Fiona was really making a push there for, for BBC Three to come back as linear. And we, we've debated in the past the, the merits of that or not, but I found that to be quite interesting. Absolutely. And a lot of that came from what... Um the programming that, that BBC Three has been uh, kind of commissioning recently, and uh, and 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 airing. And and on that note, that that slightly clunky segue, we're going into our favourite section. Well, the favourite section, our kind of most self-indulgent section. It's it's what we've been watching. Obviously, we've been watching a lot of TV of late. I hope. Um, Hannah, do you want to kick off? What have you been watching? I've just discovered Shit's Creek. I think I'm late to the show. I'm not sure. Um, I, I am so too. just been binging that lately, but I I know that there was a lot of talk around the show for being like not having any homophobia in it, and I so I've read up a little bit around that, and then watching it, I'm like, wow, it's just so so unhomophobic, and it's amazing, and I'd recommend it all to be honest. If anyone hasn't watched it, yeah, it's brilliant. I'm watching it at the moment as well. But go on, uh, Jesse, you, you're a big fan of Shit's Creek, but you've already got, you've already seen that away, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I just think it's uh, it's like the most bingeable TV show, and uh, it's just I love the kind of uh, un unapologetic approach it takes to uh, you know inclusion and and just positivity. Um, I think that's probably like quite an American. Well, it's actually a Canadian show, but I think it's um, it's quite a North American thing to be sort of so kind of positive about something. But I just think it works really lovely. Uh, it's a yeah, so it's a really good thing to to see, and I'm and I envy anyone who hasn't seen all of it yet, because you get new episodes uh, to watch. Um, but I've been watching. What have I been doing? I have selling sunset. Well, I've, I have been, I have been watching Selling Sunset. I've, I finished that the other week. Um, I think I described it on Twitter as something like uh, like the most like sort of vacuous but like fantastic <laughs> TV show I've seen in 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 some time. It's like it's utter guff. It really probably doesn't stand for uh, in some ways some of the things that we've been talking about here. It's sort of it's sort of ridiculous Hollywood, you know, uh, upper class American lifestyle. Um, that it's sort of promoting to an extent, but it's it's just like very very funny and really well produced. It's made by the guy who um, did The Hills and Laguna Beach and things like that. Um, and you can see it's like you know this is a sort of master at work sort of series, um, whilst being like utter trash. And Max, I just finished Love on the Spectrum. That was very good. I don't know if what we a have, hero. have we talked about this before. Maybe we've talked I, about it. I before. mentioned it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, what, what you, I'm not going to say anything. What was your take? Really good show. I think it's it's still it, it's better than like the Undateables. Um, by by mile. By yeah, by yeah, by mile. I still find it a little bit. I didn't know why um, they kept uh, it would it would they would always take a, a an autistic person and put them on a date with another autistic person and then put them into these very really awkward settings like a really posh dinner with like loads of cameras around from the show. And I'm sort of like, is it any wonder that then there was lots and lots of awkwardness? Cause I think I'd be really awkward in that situation. So it, at that point it, it, for me started merging into the slightly voyeuristic. I liked all the bits around that. I liked the backstory behind their families. And I thought some of the cast members were really great. My favorite was Michael, he was fantastic. He said he had a heart <laughs> 10 times the size of the average heart, which I thought was really good. That's oh my god what huge, a legend huge yeah yeah it was it was actually metaphorical <laughs> if you're anyway as emotional as i am the last episode will get you yeah really like really that. good show really good show Absolutely. and then i tried i tried on the drama front i tried watching a suitable boy on bbc one but uh didn't think it was very good at all i thought the 
was quite surprised to hear some some really like boring clunky dialogue because it's written by Andrew Davis and I always think of him as being quite a good writer but yeah I gave up after an episode yep fair enough fair enough there is a lot of content out there indeed um, a lot of content worth... out there yeah there's a lot of content out there it's God, I sound like it's a commissioner it could sound like one of those TV I've been in TV so you log oh there's a lot of content out there you know demand for eyeballs etc um <laughs> For what it for what it's worth, I've actually been watching a Dutch show. I uh, I, I I quickly after the announcement that ITV Two had picked up Let Love Rule uh, yesterday, um, I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before, called the Cabins. It's the latest relationship format from the wheelhouse of John the Mole. Um, I I watched a few episodes of the original Dutch version, which is on their broad channel SBS Six. Um, I love it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I was. It's really telling that if you um, if you watch an episode and you want to immediately watch the next one to find out what those characters, even though you know I was watching with subtitles, do next or say next or or, or follow on. I think that's always a good sign from someone who doesn't really watch as much entertainment programming and and dating you know social experiments. But it, I thought it was it was really good. I, I fear that ITV two will skew a bit younger and they'll have younger couples. But the really great thing about the Dutch version is they had a, a kind of mid twenties couple in one of the episodes I watched, and a, a couple in their in their late forties, and just the the kind of the patter between the two were fantastic. It's just exactly exactly the same kind of flirtation, but just in, in different stages of their life. So I I can't wait till the uh, the UK version comes out, but I want to watch more of the Dutch one. Uh, so. If ITV Studios are listening, send me more episodes of Let Love Rule in uh, in uh, and the Dutch version. That's all we have time for in this bumper edition. I say that's all we've got, got time for. We've been talking for a while, and it's been a really comprehensive chat about um, Edinburgh TV Festival. Um, so thanks, guys, for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Thank you, John. Cheers, John. Cheers, John. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Broadcast News Wrap. Please make sure to follow us at, at @broadcastnow on Twitter and check into broadcastnow.co.uk for more analysis. I'm international editor John Elms and I've been speaking with senior reporter Max Goldbart, reporter Hannah Bowler and insight editor Jesse Whittock. Please do check out this week's podcast plus all previous episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean or via our website. And don't forget to tune in next time for more news wrap as we bring news and analysis from the television landscape. Goodbye.